This is Midwesteration, and I'm Freya Bernson. I am back with some more interviews with amazing folks in the field of ecological restoration. Prescribed burn season has been monopolizing my time recently, since you burn when the weather is good and fix things when it isn't. The greening up of my region means that I'll be back to a semi-normal schedule. On that note, I was able to recently interview Stephanie Shuck, the restoration ecologist for the Nina Mason Polium Ecolab at Marion University in Indianapolis. This site is truly within the bounds of the largest city in Indiana, but honestly the vast majority of background sounds in this interview are birds singing. Amusingly, you can also hear cars from the speedway during the first part of our talk as well. Stephanie offers a wealth of information on so many aspects of Ecolab and was so much fun to talk to. Enjoy. Okay, we are recording, and I am standing at the Nina Mason Polium Ecolab in Indianapolis with Stephanie Shook, and I'm going to ask her to go ahead and uh, introduce herself and kind of talk about her connection to the site and what, what, why she is the person speaking on, on the site. Yeah, hi. So yeah, my name is Stephanie Shook. Um, I'm the restoration ecologist for the Nina Mason Polium Ecolab here at Marion University. Um, we have over 75 uh, acres of restored forest and wetland and prairie and some riparian habitat as well as we have Crooked Creek that runs through um, the east side of the Ecolab. Uh, we have over three miles of trails and we are open to the public from dawn to dusk. So even though it is private property on Marion University's campus, um, a, a lot of our Marion community uses the Ecolab for various reasons that we'll talk about um, later on. Um, but we also have a lot of the public come visit. So they'll walk their dogs, we have families come to visit. Um, and we also do some public programs and things like that. So um, let's go take a walk. We can walk down the stairs. So the best way to get, if you do want to come visit, you hear this and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to go there because you will. Um, then the best thing to do is to uh, drive to Marion's campus um, and you can either park by Allison Mansion. Uh, there's a little parking lot there. Or you can park in uh, Marion Hall's parking lot just across the way. Uh, it's a little busy when um, during the day because we have students and so you know how college campuses are in parking. Um, but for the most part, you'll usually be able to find a parking spot. If you have any questions, you can also email me or give me a call, and I'd be happy to, to help out. Nice. Um, you'll go behind the mansion, and then there's this beautiful stairway that we're actually looking at right now, um, and you can walk down the stairway. There's also a gate uh, alongside a Cold Spring Road that you can drive through, and there's a little parking lot um, by the, the pond as soon as you drive in. Perfect. So let's go take a walk. Hey. At the base of the stairs here, um, you'll see the ponds. We've got the pond in the south, um, and then we've got a lot of our wetland um, types of habitats here. So we've got several different types of wetlands. We'll walk by a little fen that we have over here. Um, the, there's a lot of really interesting things going on, naturally going on in the Ecolab here. So um, this pond is spring-fed. So we have, um, well, we're on Cold Spring Road, so there's a reason for that. <laughs> um, and it's because uh, we have 
springs all over this area. And so there are several springs that, um, hey Parker, as you're walking through um, where we're going to be walking um, on the south shore of the pond, there are a lot of springs that are running through this bluff and into the pond. Um, so that um, does a few things with the pond. So the pond is pretty shallow, I'd say maybe like six to eight feet at the most in some spots. But for the most part, it's pretty shallow, um, less than that. And so in the summertime, with all of that, that cooler spring water flowing into the pond that lowers the temperature of uh, the pond, when typically a shallow pond like this during the middle of the summer would be pretty warm, but it's, it's, a, it's a little bit lower because um, of the spring water. And this is the opposite effect, too, in the wintertime. So then, you know, that warmer spring water, then the air temperature is flowing into the pond, and so the pond is a little bit warmer. So a lot of times when it's really, really cold, it doesn't even freeze over. Like, and I'm saying, like, really cold. It won't even freeze over on the, on the other side, on the west side of the pond because of that. Um, you, <laughs> I'll talk a little bit about the cultural history. So you might be able to hear the humming in the background. Um, <laughs> so um, that is... Um, well, that's a speedway. So we are on the west side. We're very close to the speedway. Um, and well, you know, tis the season, so they're doing mm -hmm. their practicing and things like that. So um, we are at the base of Allison Mansion. So um, James Allison, uh, in over 100 years ago, about 1911 or 12, um, bought the property and built the mansion. And when he bought the property, he bought this southern section of the Eco Lab, um, and it was pasture. So there were cattle on it. Um, and he wanted, of course, to beautify it, um, to, I guess you'd say restore it. I don't know if that was his, you know, main goal, but that's what happened. So they brought Jens Jensen down from Chicago, who was a famous landscape architect at the time. Um, he was an immigrant from Denmark, um, and um, he had a really interesting perspective on things as a landscape architect. So I like to say that he was a restoration ecologist before it was a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so he was definitely um, a landscape architect in that he was designing the landscapes that he was um, creating, but he was doing it largely with native plants. And so we have his plans, um, which is really cool. So over a hundred years ago, he created um, all these maps and everything, and so we have those. And so in about 2000, Dr. David Benson, who is um, chair of biology here at Marion, um, they had found these plans, and he would bring his students down to the Eco Lab because it has all it has been here. So it's a floodplain, mm -hmm. so legally you can't build on it. So it's been here, and it's been used by the neighborhood. It's been used by Marion since Marion's been Marion, um, but it didn't officially have trails, like official trails and things like that. And so he would bring his students down here, and he found, and a lot of people would see these um, these stone structures, and and. I mean, clearly they were old. What were they? Something must have been here. Well, they found the plans and realized that this was his his landscape. He created that, recreated this again. So, um, so he restored this area. He um, put in trails. So, in 2000, most of the trails in the south are original to Jensen's design. Mm -hmm. Um, he, but he created it as a kind of like a driving landscape. Mm -hmm. So James Allison was one of the co-founders of the Indy 500. Okay. So he was big. So Allison Transmission, which is not too far from here either, he was big into cars and things like that. And so um, a lot of these trails were big enough for cars back at that time mm -hmm. to be able to drive through. Of course, we don't have cars driving through our trails now. Now they're walking trails, um, but still original to Jensen's design, um, as well as a lot of the um, plants. So um, they 
uh, as they were, well, of course, they had to go through and remove a lot of invasive species. So at that time, I think um, about 85% of the understory was bush honeysuckle, mm -hmm. which, you know, in a forested area, wetland area, you don't want 85% of anything to be mm -hmm. dominating, right? Because right. That's, these are highly diverse ecosystems, and, and if they have that much of an, a non-native species, um, they're not functioning properly. So um, that we still continue with that restoration mm -hmm. today. Um, since we are in the middle of Indianapolis, um, so 75 acres isn't a lot, but then when you look at where we are, I think it is really significant. Mm -hmm. um, and then also with wetlands and their, their ecosystem services they provide for us, that's also really important where we are because, you know, we are in the middle of a Sydney where we have tons of impervious surfaces and lots of runoff. And so we need places like these wetlands to help um, uh, to help make sure that you know our water goes somewhere mm -hmm. and then is um, let into our water systems a little bit um, more slowly than it would if it just ran off the road and right in. So, um, so these wetland areas are extremely important because of of that fact, and especially here in in the middle of a city. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we also, so, you know, there, there's more, so there, I'll talk about some more cultural history as, we're, as we walk around, but um, a little bit about the natural history. So um, we have, as we walk along this bluff here, um, so uh, you'll see, like I said, some drains underneath our trail to make sure the water goes into the pond and not over the trail so we can keep our trail. Mm -hmm. um, but we have lots of different types of wildlife. So we've had over 160 species of birds. Um, observed here in the Ecolab. We have, of course, our um, unofficial mascot, or maybe official mascot, I don't know, is a beaver. So we have a colony of beaver that live on the pond, um, and we'll walk by their huge lodge. So their lodge is just off the north shore um, around the pond, and it is right there. You can see it. So um, it's been there for several years. So I've been here for about seven years, and it was here when I got here, and they just kind of use it on occasion so they they might go back and forth and I can usually tell in the fall where they're going to be um, building their lodge because I can see the new um, stuff the new mud the new sticks things like that so I can really see where they're building it up and they've got a couple of lodges that I've seen them go back and forth between over the last seven years okay. um, we've got um, wood ducks so that's one um, thing that I love out here is uh, we have a few mallards that, you know, they don't really care about you. The wood ducks, though, are a lot more shy, and so usually I just end up accidentally chasing them mm -hmm. <laughs> down the pond because they're like, yipe, oh my gosh. Um, but we have a ton of wood ducks here, and so we usually have several families on the pond, um, which is really, uh, really fun to watch. Um, and then, of course, amphibians. We've got salamanders and um, different species of frogs. Um, Lots of snakes, but don't worry if you don't like snakes, they won't come get you. Usually they hear you coming way before you see them, so they're gone. Um, uh, we do actually have um, Kirtland's snake, which oh, is an wow. endangered species um, in Indiana, and this is the perfect habitat for them. Mm -hmm. And I've seen them a couple of times, so, um, so that's another reason why areas like this are extremely important. Mm -hmm. um, it's for endangered species that need these little pockets of wetlands. Um, Again, regardless of how big or small they are, they really do need these little pockets of wetlands. Uh, and since we have a few different kinds of wetlands, that provides even more habitat for, for more animals, especially for migrating birds yeah. as well. So like this is a great stop off for migrating birds. Um, and as we start to lose more and more, even though they're little postage stamps, um, we mm -hmm. start to lose more and more of those, uh, then they have less places to stop off um, while they're migrating. Uh, so. 
Uh, and, and by the way, too, I'll, I'll put a little plug in. So in spring and in fall, uh, we have bird walks every Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock um, with Dr. Benson. And he's so much fun to go around with because he can hear like five different birds at the same time, tell you exactly which ones they are and where they are. <laughs> so he's really good. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, I think what we'll do is we'll take a little walk down here and I'll talk a little bit more about um, the cultural history uh, and then we'll um, see some evidence of beavers. Okay. Fun. So on a connectivity kind of scale, mm -hmm. um, the migrating birds can fly in and out, um, but uh, our... Is this part of any kind of localized corridor, or is this pretty isolated? Here? So it is. So this is a great wetland corridor, especially for uh, this area to be in a city. So we are. Um, so I mentioned Crooked Creek earlier. So Crooked Creek runs through. It's actually right over there. It runs along our um, little parking lot by the Eco Lab here, uh, and it runs into White River, not very far away. Okay. And so that creates a really nice wetland corridor specifically for wetland animals like beavers. Mm -hmm. So this is a perfect place for them. And I'm really glad that we have them for lots of reasons because I love them. Um, but also uh, because not everybody does, uh -huh. <laughs> right? And so it's a great opportunity for education. Uh, so I have a lot of, of course, kids love beavers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I have a lot of um, adults that when we talk about the beavers are like, Oh, you have beavers here? What are you going to do about that? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> We're going to be happy about that because this is a perfect environment for them. And they help us to maintain and create this environment. So it gives, it's a great opportunity to help people understand that, well, yeah, they flood things and they cut trees down, but here's why. Um, and, and this is why they're, they're a keystone species. So that gives you, you know, also a great... Um, uh, way of, of talking about the importance of different types of species that we have and what they do. And so being a keystone species in a wetland environment, if you were to take them out of that environment, it would significantly change that environment. So they in themselves significantly change the environment, but they are creating this uh, diverse wetland habitat. And that's really important in an area like this. Yeah. So if you look across where that tree is down in the pond, mm -hmm. so that's one of their lodges. Um, so they have, so beavers will have sometimes a winter and a summer lodge. <laughs> and so um, this was their summer lodge for years and they have actually um, lots of little burrows and things throughout that little peninsula of land. And then one year, several years ago, uh, they started building it up in the fall and I was like, oh, okay, I guess you're gonna live there. And they did, they built a huge lodge up on the bank um, and that's where they were for a couple of years. And then they decided to move back to their other lodge. So, okay. But I, I know that they still use both of them. So usually I can tell like their main lodge because it is like really built up and they've, they've done some, some serious work on it. Um, but I can al always tell um, they've got some, they do some work on that too. Now we've also got muskrats um, and I'm sure that they coexist. I know that muskrats can sometimes even live in beaver lodges and um, they can live pretty um, happily together, I think, you know, depending on how many there are. Um, but so I'm sure that muskrats are also using these spaces when the beavers are or are not there. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, just looking around here, it's it's hard to believe that we are standing in in this part of the city. Just it's, it's yeah, very. And, and like you mentioned, if it wasn't for the you know, the race cars in the background, uh, you, you really wouldn't know mm -hmm. until you know you have a a plane fly by or <laughs> yeah. or a helicopter or something. Then you're reminded. But it's actually pretty quiet. I mean, we have. Um, we have a decent amount of visitors, but you know we're definitely not Eagle Creek, or you know we're it's, it's a lot quieter, and so we um, it's kind of nice actually. The, uh, last summer, well, I guess we're still in the pandemic, but um, in the beginnings of it, I would just come here on the weekends and bring my camera because I knew it was going to be a little quieter, mm -hmm. um, and I needed to do something <laughs> and get outside, so I'd come to work on the weekends, but I'd put my blinders on. <laughs> not look at the invasive species or the other things that I needed to deal with until I came back in on Monday. Uh -huh. <laughs> so here are some, oh, <laughs> speaking of beavers, so they've plugged up this drain. Oh, so nice. there's a little drain here. So we've got these two half moon pools um, or frog ponds. <laughs> and we've got, sometimes they clog it up, sometimes it's just leaves. But yeah, we've got the drain that goes underneath the pond, um, and they have plugged up both ends. Wow, they're over the so last efficient. Few days. So <laughs> they are, they are, and that's the thing is, I love them, but sometimes you know they make my life um, difficult. Uh, but I would much rather like be, uh, I don't know, I guess bothered by a beaver than lots of other things. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, ah, oh, beavers, come on, yeah. and I have to unplug that. But I'd, I'd much rather deal with that. Here's an example of some of, the, of one of the springs oh, nice. into the pond. So as you walk along the south shore of the pond, I mentioned you'll um, notice a lot of water, um, but you will actually see where the springs are continually running into the pond. There's another one down here that I'll point out that's always like bubbling up in the pond. Mm -hmm. I've never not seen it bubbling up in the pond, which is why I think um, a lot of times this side, the west side of the pond, does, um, doesn't really freeze over in mm -hmm. the wintertime. And then we arrive to the cistern. I've heard all kinds of stories <laughs> about what these are from students, and you know, <laughs> there's all kinds of um, stories that are made up about them. And um, so, part of the real story is that these we have these two cisterns that would hold water, and then we had the pump house that would pump the water up to the mansion. Mm -hmm. And you can still, I think, yeah, so you can see here water running into the cistern mm -hmm. that's still trickling in. So this whole area is really very wet. So um, of course, it's, this doesn't pump any water up to the mansion anymore, um, but it is my salamander habitat now. So um, I can usually dig around in here and find a salamander um, pretty pretty quickly. Um, so we have two lion salamanders here, and then a couple of years ago, we found marbled salamanders in another section of the Ecolab. I'm sure we have more, um, but you know they don't really like to come out and say hi unless uh -huh. you find them. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is a perfect um, habitat for two lion salamanders. They they uh, love this wet, soupy area, and again, this is always wet, uh, which is why you'll see as we walk along up here, um, we've got that little fen there. So mm -hmm. um, we'll talk about fens in a, a minute. Um, okay, so. Beaver Lodge is across the pond, 
So we're standing at the cisterns, and if you look across the pond, you can see a really oh, big yeah. pile of sticks and mud, and that is the beaver lodge over there. Yeah. That's <laughs> and then we usually have, yeah, we've got some turtles on the logs. So we've got the typical pond turtles, so painted red ear sliders. We have um, snapping turtles, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we do have eastern box turtles as well, which are oh. not a pond turtle. They're more of a forest turtle, um, but we are doing uh, research on them. So mm -hmm. we've been doing that for the last several years. It was kind of slow going in the beginning. <laughs> turtles, <laughs> slow going. <laughs> um, but we've really ramped it up and we've gotten pretty successful. So we have 13 turtles with trackers on them yeah. right now. And so then actually Parker, who I said hi to over there, so he's actually going out to um, go find them with our telemetry equipment. So um, I've had um, one student for the last two years um, consistently going out to, to find them. And what we do when we find them, um, when we originally find them, we'll take weight measurements and, and mm -hmm. all kinds of different things. But then we'll just go out and put a little GPS point in wherever mm -hmm. we find them. So we only handle them really one time, um, and then the rest of the time is more about mapping out their locations. Mm -hmm. um, so we're starting to get a better picture of um, where their home ranges are, mm -hmm. how much they overlap, if they overlap, which in an area like this, they're, they're going to because mm -hmm. it's such a small space. When I first started here, you know, I found so many box turtles just walking along the trail or, you know, looking looking for garlic mustard in the mm -hmm. spring is really when we find a lot of them. So I'm hoping we can get several more with trackers on them this year um, because you're looking down on the ground, so you're it's more you're more likely to find them. Mm -hmm. um, but I was I was wondering how their population since we are so other than our little our wetland corridor, we're cut off, mm -hmm. especially for species like box turtles. Yeah. You know, now we do have on the west side we have some neighborhoods, and I am sure. Um, actually, we're, we're pretty positive because we had to follow one <laughs> out of the Ecolab and into the neighborhoods. Um, so I had to have that conversation with my students. Like, well, don't go in anyone's yard <laughs> unless you see them and you ask for permission. Um, but uh, I know they probably go into, like, the neighbor's yards and eat their tomatoes on occasion. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, other than that, like, they really don't have any place to go. But they, they seem to be thriving because I've seen them. I found them at all ages, um, male and female. We found hatchlings a few years ago. Right. So, I mean, they seem to be doing well, but mm -hmm. are they really? Yeah. And, and they can live a long time. Mm -hmm. So um, what my next goal is to um, start doing some genetic testing mm -hmm. um, to see how genetically how they're doing. You know, are they, uh, we, found <laughs> we found one of the males last year. Um, I think with four different females. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he's busy. So we're like, is is Jensen? That's his name. Right? <laughs> is Jensen the father of all the turtles in the ecolab or what? Um, so I really want to learn more about that. But mm -hmm. it's a great um, learning opportunity for our um, Marion undergraduates. So mm -hmm. uh, I'll talk about that maybe a little bit more because um, so this is of course a place where you can come down and take a walk. Um, it, and I always like you know try to let students know that it is part of their college experience mm -hmm. on campus you don't have to drive anywhere just go across the street I mean like it's it's right here on campus so mm -hmm. if you're having a rough day or you um, are tired of your roommate or whatever it happens to be you can come down and take a walk mm -hmm. um, listen to the birds um, and that's it we have a, a outdoor classroom that you can have some lunch or read a book anything like that and I know a lot of our students and um, faculty and staff do come down here and use mm -hmm. the Ecolab but also a great place for research. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one of the ongoing research projects that we've got. Um, and then we've got a few more that we're going to start this summer um, 
that we would like to consistently work on. There's been a lot of research um, over the years, specifically with invasive species, mm -hmm. because we've got them all. <laughs> so we've got a lot of pressure on all sides because yeah. of where we are. Um, and so we will never not have invasive species, um, but that gives us a good opportunity mm -hmm. to have our students learn about yeah. invasive species and, and what they do. Yeah, and the students have been a, a pretty large part of the of the invasive species removal as well, oh, right? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I have everything from um, students, uh, biology students that are doing research to just um, student groups that need service hours or um, want to do some good things. Mm -hmm. So um, so yeah, definitely um, students play a big part in, in the um, restoration, but also in the maintenance. Mm -hmm. um, so I have interns as well, so I hire um, by the semester. And so I have anywhere from like two to, well last semester I had nine <laughs> um, interns that help me with all of those things. Nice. So I think I see either a muskrat Oh, he just went under. Mm -hmm. Okay, darn. You come a little closer. Uh, but so speaking of, too, I was like, ah, beaver maybe. So beavers are nocturnal. Um, not that you can't see them during the day, and they have been seen during the day. But the best time to see them out here is dawn and dusk, mm -hmm. um, and they are usually pretty busy. So if you just have a seat somewhere on this side of the pond, a lot of times you'll see them swim by. Okay, what was I saying? So this is what I do. I, well, we all do this, right? Yeah. We're like, talking about something really important. Ooh, butterfly. <laughs> Movement. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we, we have a lot of opportunities um, for students both to learn, um, to put things on their resume, mm -hmm. to get field experience, um, and then also uh, um, volunteer experience mm -hmm. and, and service hours. So uh, Marion is um, really um, focused on those service hours and working with the community. So a lot of the um, student groups or even classes will um, require certain student service hours, um, which then helps me because I need mm -hmm. it, right? Yeah. So I'm one person, <laughs> so I'm the only full-time staff of the Ecolab, <laughs> um, which is daunting sometimes mm -hmm. because I manage the property um, and work with students and manage the students, manage some research or, or help with research um, and then also do a lot of the environmental education too mm -hmm. or manage that so um, we do have uh, public programs like I mentioned so like wildflower walks and night hikes mm -hmm. and things like that um, but then we've also over the years done lots of um, other like K through 12 programs school programs so like field trips um, camps and everything in between um, so we on a typical year we would could see up to 5,000 um, visitors wow. every year mm -hmm. so uh, and that's, you know, both with um, uh, service hours and people just visiting um, and then also with field trips and things like that. So so we're busy out here. Um, it's been a rough year. I keep saying year because it feels like the year <laughs> just keeps going on and on uh -huh. because we haven't been able to have our little um, field trips happening. But um, and see our little ones out here. So I miss the littles. I miss having the first graders out here. And, um, and that's, you know, a really big piece of this. So I, I manage this area for two main reasons. Um, for, um, of course, restoration and, and maintaining this, these natural habitats, um, but also for education. Mm -hmm. um, because if you're doing all of this and you're not educating anybody about it, I feel like it's kind of, it's lost. Mm -hmm. um, so if I stopped doing it and left um, and nobody knew what I was doing or why, it's lost. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to bring everybody, all ages down, 
here to explain um, some of the reasons why we do restoration um, and, and how we do it um, and, and to give them a better perspective of what that means. Mm -hmm. um, and then showing them reasons of why we should, right? So the beavers, the, the turtles, the um, in the endangered species that we have here. So that's, those are all you know, big reasons on why we do what we do. Well, let's take a walk to our fin. All right. That's a little jewel weeds coming up. Yeah, we have a lot of jewel weed on this side of the pond. Well, it's perfect. It's nice and wet, and it's got some shade. And the toothwort is blooming. Oh. We've got um, a lot of bloodroot as well. Looks like it's about done. Wild ginger's coming up. Oh, groundhog. Oh, oh. <laughs> so cute. Hi, buddy. you have a little burrow over there? It looks hmm. like somebody's moving some dirt there. Yeah. I have to put a field camera over there. <laughs> so that's one thing um, my interns are in charge of now too. So we have a bunch of field cameras that we got. And so we've hmm. put them out at different locations. And so it's their job once a week to go out and collect nice. um, and then see what we find. So we're into our fen. You can see there's a skunk cabbage. Aww. There's a, several over here. So we've got a lot of skunk cabbage in, in our little fen here. So that's what it likes. Yeah. So not super big but still incredibly important for mm -hmm. what it provides. Um, I have noticed though, speaking of invasive species, we don't have a huge issue with privet mm -hmm. um, in the Ecolab um, except for right here um, I've noticed. So it's hard though because it's really wet mm -hmm. <laughs> and so to get in here to remove them I would have to, well, definitely have waders on because you'd sink in. Yeah. Um, but then that's, you're, I don't want to disturb a lot of this either mm -hmm. and I feel like I would really do that. So I need to probably, when it really gets cold, because it will kind of freeze over on the top, and then you can gingerly walk over <laughs> and cut those back. Um, but we have, um, you know, a lot of the things, a lot of the species that you would find in other places in the Ecolab, but we've got the skunk cabbage, and so um, this is a place that they love. So fens are um, wet all the time, so not all wetlands are wet all the time, but a fen is, and it's fed by groundwater, um, so the soils are different. You know, they've been um, developed and created in a different way, um, so they're considered calcareous soils because they're groundwater fed and they're, um, they've got a lot of, well, minerals in them, so calcium, magnesium, things like that. Um, so the skunk cabbage really like these really wet areas that are wet all the time. And you can see we've got some drains as we've walked along here a little bit to uh -huh. kind of go into the pond as well. There's just, there's water flowing all the time, so as far as like um, maintenance and like trail maintenance and things like that this is a difficult thing mm -hmm. <laughs> because you really have to you know I have to really make sure that we have our drains cleared um, and even then you know any mm -hmm. kind of construction or anything mm -hmm. that 
is happening on campus a lot of times will affect well it yeah of course it'll affect the water flow and mm -hmm. so um, I'll have different areas along this trail wash out that had never had before and then I'll think why well because they're doing construction mm -hmm. up here so that and it might not be really close to, to the Ecolab or right really close to the um, the bank here but it still affects where the water runs off mm -hmm. and then it'll affect it how it comes down here which is why it's really important to have these areas because that water is going to go somewhere yeah. and it's going to run off with all the stuff that's in the parking lot or the grass or anything so you have fertilizers and um, all kinds of things that are that are coming through with that water and these wetlands are a perfect place to well they, they serve as a, a sink uh, for toxins and they also help to filter out um, a lot of those um, fertilizers and um, chemicals and things like that before it slowly releases the water into Crooked Creek which then goes into White River. Skunk cabbage is the plant that gets me through the winter. Right? <laughs> it really does. I promise you that spring is going to happen. Mm -hmm. So we call this the land bridge. Um, the beavers love it over here because I've got another drain. Yeah. Um, they like to plug up wow. constantly. <laughs> and they'll plug it up and then um, the whole thing will flood. And you can see like about halfway through, this is a beaver slip. Mm -hmm. They go back and forth here. Um, in the winter time when it's like, I've seen when it's frozen over, when there's ice, you can see, like it looks like a beaver slide <laughs> because they've just been sliding back and forth. But yeah, this is a drain that we unplug and then that night they'll plug it back up again and then we come in the next day and unplug it and they come back that night and plug it up again and then the next day we unplug it and on and on and on. Yeah, but that's good. okay. Enrichment for both parties. Exactly. It's a great job for interns. <laughs> we try to put out some signs. We're working on actually new signage for the whole area. Um, and poison ivy, it's super important <laughs> to know what it is and what it looks like for obvious reasons, right? Um, but I do like to talk about it too because it is a native plant mm -hmm. and we are the only species that react to it the way we do um, and so people are like oh really because we're like kill all the poison ivy I'm like well and I trust me I get it because if mm -hmm. I look at it I, I get poison ivy uh -huh. so I, I get it but at the same time um, you know it provides um, habitat provides food um, for a lot of different species both the leaves and the berries its um, pollinators need the flowers so it's an important plant so this I like this tree here because the poison ivy is here and I can put a sign here but you can walk right by it and not mm -hmm. get it. So the only time I really ever manage for it is if it's in the trail and people can walk by and, and accidentally rub up against it. But other than that, you know, it's it's out there, which is one thing that my interns learn. Mm -hmm. So they think, ooh, I'm going to work outside. I'm going to wear shorts and, and, and tank tops. I'm like, no, not in restoration. <laughs> no, no, no. Because we have thorns and poison ivy and mosquitoes and ticks and all those things. Like you're, mm -hmm. You need to wear pants and you need to wear boots and, um, and and they learn they learn I have mm -hmm. some that it took a little longer to learn who come yeah. in with the shorts on I'm like mm, that's not gonna work 
Um, so they, but they learn. Like this is, it's working outside is not just being outside in the sunshine. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard work, you know, mm -hmm. and you have to deal with thorns and poison ivy and ticks and, and mosquitoes. So that's an important thing for them to know because if they romanticize it, mm -hmm. um, it's going to be a hard lesson to learn. They, they get a degree in it and they don't know what they do. So mm -hmm. that's the other thing too is this is a, a great um, gateway for them so they can get, you know, um, experience, start to understand what it means to do field work, mm -hmm. to um, be a field biologist or an environmental scientist or um, restoration ecologist and learn what it really means to work outside and how hard it can be mm -hmm. um, and how you can get bit by mosquitoes and that's just how it goes right you just <laughs> you just get bit by mosquitoes <laughs> you just get poison ivy now there of course there are things you can do like wear pants and sleeves and, mm -hmm. and all that so this is a great place for them to to learn those lessons mm -hmm. um, before they you know go out west and and realize, oh my gosh, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> so, and some of my interns are like, this is great, this is what I want to do, and others are like, mm, maybe not so much. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, I have a lot of, um, so I usually see all of the environmental biology students at some point with an internship, um, but I also have a lot of other students from a lot of other different departments mm -hmm. because it's not you don't want to have to be a restoration ecologist or a field biologist to care about nature mm -hmm. to care about conservation um, to want to protect these areas to enjoy being outside uh, so you know I think right now I probably have um, the most diversity as far as what students want to be when they grow up um, some they don't know and that's okay so I try to you know bring them to the, <laughs> the ecological <laughs> side um, but I have pre-med students I have um, business students, education students, and that's important too. So we um, have education students that gives them a, an opportunity, typically when we have programs, um, to be able to, you know, help lead programs, mm -hmm. learn what it means to prepare for programs and do cr and create curriculum and do programs outside. Mm -hmm. This is way different than in the classroom. Yeah. And so um, we would, we also do a, an FYS class out here. Um, mm -hmm. every, we've done it every year for the last I think five years. So FYS is a first-year seminar, mm. uh, and I co-teach it with David Benson. And we, our classroom is the Eco Lab. So mm. it's actually the outdoor classroom that we're going to head to. But I mean, we are out here every class period. Um, and actually, in the fall, that worked out really well <laughs> um, with COVID and everything. It's like, mm. well, our classroom is outside, so um, so it worked out really well. But they learn. You know, one of their projects was to be an interpretive nat naturalist, essentially. So they had an interpretive project. And they had to pick something, anything that interested them, they wanted to learn about. It had to, you know, of course, have to do something with Indiana, Indiana Habitats, the Ecolab here. Um, but other than that, you know, what do you want to learn about and what do you want to teach about? Um, and I think, you know, a, a lot of the students were like, this really helped me to be a better speaker because you can't rely on a PowerPoint. Um, you can rely on some artifacts or things like that that take, you take with you, but you you have to, you know, you can't stand there and rely on a PowerPoint and read your notes. Like you have to be more engaging. You have to know where you're going. <laughs> you have to know what you're looking for, mm -hmm. um, where how to point things out. You have to remember that the people in the back might not be able to hear you. Mm -hmm. So I think it really just helps give them a better experience, regardless of what they want to go into, mm -hmm. um, a better speaking experience, and to be able to relate with whoever it is that they're speaking with. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's go to the outdoor yeah. classroom. I think that will be a good next step. I really love that 
poison ivy inspired all of that. I mean, it's such a great <laughs> <Right>? plant. <laughs> well, not, I was going to say I apologize again. I go on <laughs> tangents, and I'm like, what were we talking about? I forget. <laughs> because I care so much about, you know, what we're doing and why we're doing it um, and conveying that message, too, which I think, you know, a lot of us that do this also feel the same way. Mm-hmm. So these rocks are here because this is wet often. Uh -huh. um, the beavers help to make that happen sometimes. The rain is another thing that helps to make that happen. So this is always fun to rock hop when it's full of water. We're walking through our grove of equisetum. Looks like it's some of it's getting ready. I'm not a um, botanist, so it, to spore. What's that mean? Sporing. I don't know <laughs> how to say this. But yeah, so they've got these little cones on the top. So this is called horsetail. Um, and I actually learned um, at a Native Plant Society, Indiana Native Plant Society conference several years ago. Um, they had, uh, his name was Robin, I can't remember, but he was a fern guy. Mm. And it was so interesting. I loved this talk. Um, and he talked about equisetum and how the spores have this, um, this covering. And then they have these um, tendrils called elaters. And so that ha that's what helps them to spread. And so um, you can see this happen underneath the microscope. So basically when the moisture level in the air is, um, when it's high enough, those, those elaters, those tendrils will contract and then they'll drop. Mm -hmm. When there's not enough moisture in the air, they'll open and it helps them to float to get to a place where there's enough moisture in the air and then oh. they drop. Well, you can see this under the microscope with the moisture of your breath. And so I was like, we have to do this for our field trips. This is so cool. And so I couldn't wait until they were sporing. I don't know what the word is. Um, and so I came out and I collected a bunch. And it looks like little green fuzz, pretty much. And then we went up to the microscopes and put on a microscope. And really, you look through the microscope and you just barely breathe. Like, not too much, otherwise you'll blow them off. But barely breathe. And you can see them expanding and contracting it's like they're dancing underneath the microscope like so kids cool. are gonna love this yeah. and they do and it's so funny because you have to tell them okay don't blow <laughs> just breathe and then you can see as soon as they do that they're like oh my gosh it's <laughs> moving it's so cool so it's this is a great um way to help engage them in what they're learning so like mm -hmm. we've got our nature center that's not open to the public but we use it for education programs mm -hmm. um and so but of course we don't bring groups here to take them inside like that's mm -hmm. not the goal the goal is bring them here because we have 75 acres of amazingness um, but we do use our um, nature center for to enhance whatever it is that they're learning and mm -hmm. so this is a perfect enhancement of what they're learning because also people see horsetails like what is that is that bamboo that's mm -hmm. so cool and it is a very cool plant and it can be aggressive in certain situations but it's native. Um, it's, I would much rather have more of this than all the other invasive mm -hmm. species that I have to deal with, especially in this area. We have buckthorn um, where, where it's too wet for honeysuckle, and then where it's not, then we have honeysuckle, mm -hmm. and lots of other invasive species that I have to deal with. So I'd much rather um, have a nice big stand of um, equisetum than that. Um, and it is a great teaching tool, too. Mm -hmm. People think it's cool. And so then you can tell them, yeah, yeah, this is what it is. It's not bamboo, and it's actually a fern ally because it reproduces by spores. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, what does that mean? And then you can go through that, and then, you know, with the school groups, we can show them under the microscope and blow their minds, right? Yeah. <laughs> blow their minds with nature. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you.
professors will bring their classes down here, not just biology, but lots of other departments will come down here, especially last semester, mm -hmm. when they're like, oh yeah, we can bring our students outside. So um, I really tried to make sure that people knew what resources they had mm -hmm. out here and what they could do with their students. And so this is a perfect place to be able to, to have a class outside if you want to. Um, and then, like I said too, or have lunch, mm -hmm. read a book, sit and listen to the birds. We have a little Phoebe that builds a nest. There's remnants of it there or there. Mm -hmm. And she'll go kind of back and forth between the years. We've had a robin nesting up there. Um, so, you know, there are lots of nature things happening here. So even people that maybe aren't as comfortable being outside, mm -hmm. they can come here and, and maybe feel a little safer okay. or more comfortable. You have a little bit of an elevation here to look out on things. And yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. This is great. How long has this been here? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I think 2010 or 2012. Okay. Um, so, you know, a good amount of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they did everything they could to minimize the impact on this site. So, mm -hmm. like, if you look around, you'll see big trees pretty close to the edge um, of this yeah. outdoor classroom. So they really made a little postage stamp and built it right here on the side. Nice. It's a great place to come on our night hikes, mm -hmm. especially when we have like a full moon or something with the little the circle at the top um, and the moonlight mm -hmm. is let in. It's, it's a really um, it's a really cool place to be. Yeah, no, that, that is fantastic. Got a very large open skylight that we're looking through right now. And, uh, so Stephanie, you, you said um, you've been here seven years. Mm -hmm. um, what? Uh, how did you come to be the integral part of this area that you you work in now? Yeah. So like, how did I get here? Yeah. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> what led so, you here? <laughs> yeah. So what led me here? Um, so I. <laughs> so I didn't know what I wanted to be. I still don't know what mm -hmm. I want to be when I grow up. Um, so I I did definitely did not take a straight trajectory to my path on my path um, here it was more like really jagged and weird and I went forward and backward and up and down and everywhere else um, but I've done some really cool things along the way that makes like when I put them all together it makes total sense that I got where I did um, but I was an animal person um, and which now I'm a plant person but I'm an animal person mm -hmm. too but um, I was never I didn't care as much about plants necessarily as I do now I mean plants are my thing now which is mm -hmm. you know 20 years ago I wouldn't have necessarily guessed that um, but of course like as a kid I wanted to do everything with animals I went through all the phases right so mm -hmm. I wanted to be a marine biologist and I wanted to be a vet and I wanted to have horses and like a, a lot of the typical things that you hear a lot of kids that like to be outside um, want to do and when I, I really I attribute my love for the outdoors um, a lot to the fact that I had the ability as a kid to be outside. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, grew up in small town Indiana and I could ride my bike to my best friend's house mm -hmm. and I walked to school and so I was always outside and it was that typical, you don't come home until it's dinner time and like a certain time or, or when you know, the sun goes down, you mm -hmm. gotta be home. Um, so me and the neighbor kids would ride our bikes and be outside and go down to the river and I mean do all the things that kids I think kids should do mm -hmm. um, to be able to be comfortable outside and build forts and all of that. Um, so I think that's really an important piece of why I, I've always 
cared for or liked being outside. Mm -hmm. um, and I think why I want to conserve areas like this so much more, especially in, in, in urban areas, because mm -hmm. kids that grow up in urban areas don't get that much um, or any sometimes outdoor exploration time on their own. And that's really important too is, you know, that outdoor exploration time on your own is really important as a kid, I think, to, to help you um, understand your connection with your natural environment. So that's why spaces like this are really important. We're free, we're fairly accessible for most everybody that, that can come here and visit. And, and it's a safe place too. Mm -hmm. So um, places like this are really important in urban spaces because they just don't have that ability um, like more rural areas do to mm -hmm. just go outside and explore. Um, but uh, I didn't um, become a vet um, and I didn't become a marine biologist, um, but I, what I did want to do was become Jane Goodall. So mm -hmm. I was an anthropology major at IU mm -hmm. um, and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I had taken an intro to anthropology class and I was like, oh, this is cool. Mm -hmm. This is really cool. And so I focused on primatology. Um, and of course, I got a lot of, um, so growing up in a small town, you know, there wasn't a lot of diversity. Um, mm -hmm. And so I got to learn more through the anthropology, the cultural classes about um, how other people live, mm -hmm. you know, on the other side of the world and different cultures and different languages and, and all of that. And that really helped me um, decide that I, I wanted to travel and I wanted to learn more about the people in on this planet um, and then also how um, how the natural environment affects them or vice versa um, and so it was kind of a perfect fit for me and of course I got told all kinds of things well what are you going to do with that mm -hmm. and if you don't get a PhD you can't do anything with it mm -hmm. and then I was like I don't care I like it mm -hmm. and I'm going to do it and I'm glad I did it so am I an anthropologist right now well I think sure but not really right so but I learned so much that I think it really helped me so I knew one thing I wanted to do from probably high school was Peace Corps mm -hmm. and then I think like that just that interest and when I took that anthropology class I was like yes okay this is what I want to do so I did go to Peace Corps I was in Benin West Africa I went there right after I graduated from um, got my bachelor's uh, and I think that my degree really helped me to um, be a be a better traveler, you know, mm -hmm. to to understand people a little bit better and to ask questions and to not judge so much. Well, this is how we do it. Why would you do it that way? Mm -hmm. and, and just things like that. So I um, did Peace Corps. So that's a two year um, commitment. And so I lived in a village. I had no electricity, no running water. You don't have to do that in Peace Corps. <laughs> I just want to say that right now. So Peace Corps, you could do a lot of different things. Um, you can live in a city and you can, you know, be a teacher anywhere. Um, you can do lots of different things. But I wanted that experience mm -hmm. and I, I'm glad I did it because it made me grow up. Uh -huh. <laughs> I also feel like I was kind of, you know, I had everything I needed and um, didn't understand what it meant to not have things mm -hmm. for the most part. And so I learned that um, and I saw other people that didn't have all the things that I had, but they were happy or happier and mm -hmm. just like understanding um, how people, the perspectives from other people and other type places in the world. And I was an environmental action volunteer there. So I planted trees. I had an um, environmental action club. So I had like, you know, the elementary school there. So we mm -hmm. would um, meet on occasion and, and draw our favorite animals. Or I, would, I sent um, a few students to the park there. Um, I also worked with Women in Development, which was an um, organization that Peace Corps started. So we would do like um, take our daughters to work conferences and scholarships for young girls and things like that. 
Um, and so that was a great experience, and it was so hard, but I, I, it was what I needed, and um, I learned so much more about myself than I did anything else. Um, but I learned how to, like, graft mango trees and, like, stuff like that. So it was way out of my comfort zone, more than anything, but it was, it was necessary, I think. Um, and then I came back, and I was like, well, now what? I don't know. What do you do after that? I don't know. And there's that transition period, and that was hard, you know, that... Um, that that was really hard to come back and 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 take a hot shower and just like have water coming out of a faucet mm-hmm. and and it was it was hard to I don't know it was hard to come back for a little while and then and you know I would talk to people and they would say oh Peace Corps was it fun and I'm like well yeah <laughs> I mean yeah but not yeah it was fun you know and I didn't really know what to say and of course you know that's been 20 plus years ago so I've I've gotten the words to say about it but um but it was hard coming back going now what do I do and so I thought well maybe I want to be a teacher I I like teaching um and so I I um, substitute taught for a little while and I was like nope (laughs) no I like teaching but not in a um, formal environment Mm -hmm. within a classroom um, and so then I moved to Indianapolis, and I did pretty much everything you could do with animals. So I worked with the Humane Society, which is where I started um, working on behavior, animal behavior and training. Um, I volunteered at the zoo for years, and then I worked at the zoo um, as a keeper for about five years. And then while I was there, you know, I, I did, that's really where I started doing a lot of environmental education. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that I liked doing that because it was kind of like a, a one-off, right? You could talk to people, you could educate them, um, but it wasn't a classroom all day long <laughs> doing that with the same students every day in a classroom all day long. It was being outside, talking about the things that I enjoy and I know about. Um, but then I also realized that I like there was a level of knowledge that I had, and I was missing so much more. Mm-hmm. And and so I just and I also decided that I, I animals in captivity I didn't think was for me. I wanted to focus more on. Um, some of the reasons why they're in captivity or why they are endangered and why zoos are having to do their species survival programs and 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 have to um, try to breed animals in captivity so they can hopefully re-release them but if they don't have a a habitat to re-release them in what what do we do Mm -hmm. right and so zoos are it and that might be the only time you see that animal because they aren't in the wild anymore Mm -hmm. so I wanted to focus more on protecting and conserving and restoring natural environments um, so that way they might have something to be released into again um, and maybe not have a reason to come to the zoo or be bred in captivity in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just happier being outside and and that was a thing too is I really wanted to do field work um, and I tried to be Jane Goodall in Mm -hmm. Costa Rica with um, howler monkeys and it was not the field work for me. <laughs> you take so much patience and basically you're sitting for hours writing down every 30 seconds what this howler monkey is doing and most of it is sleeping, 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 scratching, sleeping, ooh, eating, that's exciting, grooming, now sleeping again. And so like it it was fun, but I realized that wasn't the, the field work for me. Um, and so I went back to school um, and got my graduate degree in um, Uh, natural resources and environmental management at Ball State, which was where all of this began. I realized, like I started learning plants, I learned about invasive species and restoration, um, and I just, I learned that I love to identify things. Mm -hmm. So I um, worked with John Taylor, who Mm -hmm. you interviewed. He is one of my most favorite people in the world. 
Um, he is, was my mentor, is my mentor, colleague, friend, um, taught me everything I, I know. I mean, really, like, one of my most favorite things to do was to walk around in Gin Woods um, and any of the Ball State properties and just, what's that? What's that? What's that? And he'd tell me what it is. Can you eat it? What do you do with it? I mean, it just, it was so much fun for me. Um, it was where I learned how to identify trees by their bark for my thesis research. And it was where I, where I found out that's the kind of field work that I want. He had a project for a grad student. Um, and he was like, I, you like Ginwood so much and you've been out there. I think this is perfect for you. And I was like, this is perfect for me. So I was able to um, map and measure almost 4,000 trees in Ginwoods um, in a summer. Um, and that was hard, yeah. <laughs> but it was it was fun, and it it was it was useful mm -hmm. to me. It was useful to them, and that was the important thing too. Is like I know that they're going to use this research, use this data in the future, and that's important too. Mm -hmm. um, and I was learning so much while I was doing it. So um, so that was really you know where it, everything kind of came together. And what do all these animals that I love rely on? The plants that they eat, or mm -hmm. the plants that they live in or under or on or whatever so like that's kind of where I was like I'm a plant person because everybody relies on these things and mm -hmm. we need to make sure that you know we have these things for all of those species of animals that need them um, and that's where I also learned about invasive species um, we joke John always jokes like well I'm going to ruin the forest for you um, and he did <laughs> in a good way though right and yeah. so I joke with my interns now I'm like sorry I'm going to ruin the forest for you <laughs> but so it's going to be hard in the beginning but you're going to be happier that you know about it in the end mm -hmm. um, because then we can say, okay, we've got this issue. It's not supposed to be like this. What can we do about it? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I do now. And I actually was su surprised. I didn't think that I'd have this kind of opportunity here in Indianapolis. And then it just kind of popped up. And somebody was like, hey, there's this job. Looks like something you'd be really interested in. And it's doing all the things that I did with John mm -hmm. um, kind of on a different scale, but essentially a lot of the same things. Mm -hmm. So um, so it was really perfect. And then I was able to do a lot of environmental education with it too. And that, again, just kind of like completes the circle, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm doing the things I'm teaching and, and making sure that we have more um, professionals in the field later on with our Marion students. But I'm also teaching the younger generations. Oh, and then by the way, we're doing wildflower walks with adults and things like that. So um, that's the other thing too is I really like being able to teach every, anything from like preschoolers to mm -hmm. senior citizens and everything in between. So that's important too because we can all learn <laughs> at whatever age we are. Mm -hmm. So see, that's sorry. That was really long, but no, that's that was you know fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> now who knows where I'm going to go after this? I don't know. Maybe I'll be here forever. Maybe I'll be somewhere else. But um, this, you know, this is my happy place. And then I get to do, I get to have hands-on, do all the things, teach other students, other people to do the things too, so they can go forth and be awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and and then I can also. Um, work with you know school groups work with other groups that just want to come out and learn about yeah. things and be excited about frogs yeah absolutely <laughs> I think that's so great that like I mean just that that journey and just being able to like continue that education and pass passing it forward and stuff so mm -hmm. thanks for doing well, that oh yeah thank you <laughs> well and that's the fun thing too is I don't know everything mm -hmm. I, far from it right so I, the more I learn the more I realize I don't know anything 
And so I'm always learning with this, mm-hmm. and I, I, I get bored easily. And so it's, it's good, you know, for me to be able to continue learning and continue getting better. And a lot of times my interns and I learn together. Like we'll mm-hmm. be outside and I'm like, what is that? I don't know what that is. Let's see if we can figure out what uh-huh. that is. And, and so, um, so, yeah, I'm also, you know, learning just as much as everybody else is. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want to go to the Beaver Lodge? Sure. Get an yeah. up-close and personal look. And if anybody loves irises, so especially the blue flag iris, mm. this whole area to the south of the outdoor classroom. So if you come here and you, you make your way to the outdoor classroom um, here in a couple mo- uh, months, maybe a couple months, um, when the irises are blooming, this whole area is just purple. It's beautiful. So if you like irises, come to the yeah. rustic trail right to the south of yeah. the outdoor classroom. This looks like it would be quite a show. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Pear trees. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've had some issues with the invasive calorie pear trees. We've gotten a lot of them because they like the open spaces, so we have an issue with them in our prairie. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been able to, due to students and classes, we've been able to cut down a lot of them. And is that the prairie that you were uh, saying you were able to? perform a prescribed burn in yeah yeah so um, we have done a prescribed burn in the prairie oh. for oh, was it? oh wow <laughs> a little snake yeah. speaking of snakes hi buddy yeah i was like that's a weird looking stick <laughs> <laughs> hi who are you i don't know so mm-hmm. i'm not great with snakes but i know but, uh, probably just a garter snake so we have a lot of water snakes too but oh. i don't think that's who that is it looks almost like a brown snake brown i am also snake. not perfect with my snake id <laughs> um but it's it's kind of big yeah, yeah. maybe she's gravid oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> good luck <laughs> see you later um we also uh let's see oh i found a queen snake oh here um a few well i guess a few months ago it's so hard to tell um this year with a few months ago so it would have been in the fall. Just in the parking lot right over here. Oh, neat. <coughs> oh, but I interrupted you with, with the snake about the fire. <laughs> oh, the fire. Yeah, right. <laughs> see, this is this is how it works. My interns laugh because we will be on a mission, and then we see a snake or a butterfly or a whatever. And then what were we talking about? So here's the beaver lodge. Oh, before wow. We'll walk by the prairie here in a couple minutes. Okay. So huge right this mm-hmm. is the biggest I've ever seen it like they they really outdid themselves <laughs> this year um, so they're probably in there right now be my guess but this is where they overwintered so and they do not um, hibernate so that's why they're super busy in the fall so mm-hmm. like you can see it's so much fun to see all the stuff that they're doing mm-hmm. in the fall um, they're cutting things down they're they're plugging things up they're make they're building their lodge um, because they have to collect all of that food so that way they can survive the winter. And they usually will have their food supply uh, collected pretty close to where their lodge is, and this year it was pretty close over here. And it's just a huge, a pile isn't the right word, um, collection of <laughs> sticks and things like that, and they store it under the water to help preserve it. Mm. And they've got an um, out or underwater entrance and exit, and so they'll come out, um, into the water, grab a stick, come back in, and munch on it. 
was impressive. Yeah. It was just the amount of <laughs> mass there. <laughs> We have this batter dock, um, which is a little the lily pad type plant out there. We've got a lot of it on the pond. I've had some mm -hmm. people say, "Well, don't you want to like remove it or dredge that?" Or we all want to. We always want to dredge things mm -hmm. and, and remove things and cut things down and whatever. And and to a point, yeah, depending on what species it is, you might need to control some things. Um, but what I will say is, I think this is one of the reasons we have so many wood ducks um, mm -hmm. because they they'll eat the seeds. But also, and, and the beavers will also eat the rootstocks. Beavers mm -hmm. and um, uh, muskrats will eat the rootstocks. Um, so it provides food for a lot of our wetland wildlife. Mm -hmm. But it also, it's pretty low right now, but in the middle of summer, it'll get high enough to where it's perfect um, for hiding in if mm -hmm. you're a wood duck. Mm -hmm. And so, like, now you can actually see the wood ducks. Well, of course, they usually fly away because they're shy. But you can at least see them on the pond. But in the middle of summer, they see you they're in the leaves and you can't see them anymore but that helps them protect themselves mm -hmm. so I think that's another reason why um, they find this um, a nice habitat and they keep coming back um, is because they have protection food places to nest which is what we all need mm -hmm. right those are those the main things that we need and we have those here for them and the beavers have I don't know what they're doing here <laughs> but so we've got a big drain um, oh. culvert <laughs> that goes underneath uh -huh. And then there's another um, beaver canal, uh -huh. and I think they use that culvert to go um, in between their canal and then underneath the trail into the pond. But they're they've built up a ton of sticks over top of it. At first, I thought they were plugging it up, but they're not. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm not really sure what their end <laughs> end goal is on that one. But that's the fun thing is when you walk around, you see so many things that they are doing mm -hmm. that sometimes you're like, oh, that's cool. And sometimes, why are you doing that? <laughs> well, that's fun. I've have had sometimes where they'll try to cut a tree down, but it's um, got vines all over it, and they can't really pull it. So then I chop it with my <laughs> loppers, and then come back in the next day, and it's gone. Wow. So, so we help each other out. <laughs> so we're coming upon our prairie. So we have about an acre of a prairie, so not super big, um, but it's a great teaching tool again. So um, we do prescribe burns on it. I think this was, well, we burned it in the fall. I think that was the fourth time we've burned it, um, and I've seen a real difference. So the first 10 years um, that it was here, I don't think there was much management on it. Um, so with a prairie here, uh, you're gonna want to do something, right? Mm -hmm. You're gonna want to. You have to cut it or burn it or a combination of the two, because if not, it's going. It, it'll turn into what it wants to turn into, which mm -hmm. here will be a wooded wetland. So you're gonna have all the woody species move in, um, and so uh, I. That was another part of um, in graduate school. I got burn experience, so mm -hmm. I burned with John a lot, um, and then also went through the training there. So when I came here, I was like, I've got the training. I actually talked Marion into letting me set things on fire mm -hmm. down here. <laughs> talked them into a lot of things, um, but yeah, it was. It took a little while, but, but you know, as, as long I let them know that we were doing it safely. I'm certified. I've been on burns many times, um, and this is not a hard burn, as mm -hmm. you can probably see. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got breaks all along, so it's got you know, got edges of um, well, wet the pond, 
and um, uh, gravel and then wetlands and turf grass over mm -hmm. there. So I mean there's not really, it's not going to escape. Um, so it's a fairly easy burn. But I have seen over the years some positive results with it so mm -hmm. it's really helped to suppress some of the woody species. As you can see some of the stems here so we went through then after we burned and cut back some of the willow so again those those woody species want to move in mm -hmm. um, so we have to control for it. Um, There's swallows flying around. Uh -huh. We've got a swallow nest or a swallow nest box out there. So yeah it's over oh, there yeah. that they've used. We used to have a camera in it um, and it was uh, solar powered but it fell down and broke and so hopefully we can get that mm -hmm. back in there soon but um, but yeah, so, so we've burned it. I've, the things I've seen, I've seen that the prairie dock loves fire. Um, mm -hmm. I bet it has quadrupled, <laughs> so which is great. I love prairie dock, so it uh -huh. makes me happy. Um, and then, so, you know, when you're talking about restoration, uh, this is where I like to talk to my groups about. I'm like this, so restoration and doing a lot of work like, like that, um, you don't get immediate results. And so you have to be patient um, and you have to educate people on what you're doing so that way they understand that you have to be patient. You're not mm -hmm. going to see results necessarily now or in a year. It might take two or three or five or more years mm -hmm. depending on what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and so that's hard sometimes, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. it is. So unless you're like, you've just cut down a bunch of honeysuckle, that's immediate. You can mm -hmm. see that. But that's only the beginning. That's the very beginning of what's going to happen next. And you have to keep coming back and making sure that you don't have more uh, honeysuckle or that it doesn't re-sprout or you're going to have seed in the seed bank if it's, you know, really established. So you have to come back to control that several years after. But then what, right? And so a lot of invasive species affect the soil negatively. So that way, or, you know, chemically it changes it so that other species can't survive there as well and so well, what does that mean then mm -hmm. you can't just come in and plant stuff the next year because it might not do as well so um so so yeah so there are a lot of things like so this is just this is that every year we do things there are little things that i see like last year we had planted um a lot of cardinal flower along the pond um several years ago i don't even remember i had to look back in my notes um, and finally, last year, like, it was everywhere. It's like, okay, yeah. there you go. Mm -hmm. That took forever. <laughs> but <laughs> So what I'm doing is working. So, you know, it's, um, it, it's not always easy. And you have to not only tell yourself that it's going to take time, mm -hmm. but you have to make sure that other people understand that too, especially the people that are hiring you, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they want to see immediate results. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen, and yeah. they have to understand why. So... So this is kind of my, my area where I talk about patience with people, patience and restoration. It is not a, an, an immediate thing. Mm -hmm. You have to have patience and you have to plan ahead, several years ahead, and then hope that you see that several years later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a great opportunity for our students. So, you know, I've mentioned throughout that, I mean, I work so much with our students and they get, I really do try the best I can, and so does the faculty, to give them um, hands-on experience that they can, you know, put on their resume, they can, they can, you know, have a better understanding of what restoration means, what mm -hmm. field research means. So, you know, our, my students help me with the burn. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Dr. Benson and I um, lead it and then, um, but our students are in there mm -hmm. and they've got the water backpacks on and um, they really do help with everything. So that gives them more experience that they maybe wouldn't have had anywhere mm -hmm. else. So, um, 
so it's really important um, everything that we do down here with the students I'm always like okay so how can this be a teaching moment how can this be a learning moment um, what do you need to be a better whatever it is you want to be mm -hmm. um, and because that's the thing too is you know my business students might not want to do prescribed burns mm -hmm. but there's still a lot of um, skills that they learn while they're out here mm -hmm. um, that they can put on their resume yeah. so I mean that's that's an important thing uh, following directions is a really important <laughs> thing being a team player is really important if you can't do that you can't help me with the burn mm -hmm. so and we've had that discussion too like you're going to meet a different Stephanie when we do a burn okay <laughs> so I'm usually happy-go-lucky whatever it's like you listen to what I say and you do what I say because we are lighting things on fire uh -huh. and this is serious and we'll have a little fun but this is serious <laughs> so so yeah so that they have I think they have a really good time I know usually they don't really know what they're getting into mm -hmm. and then they see it and they're like whoa yeah this is cool I'm like, I know I told you <laughs> but listen to me go over there <laughs> get off your phones don't do that <laughs> so yeah yeah so I'm really excited to see um, what happens with our prairie of course so I we overseeded it last year so we burned it in the fall and then in about December um, I spread a bunch of native um, wildflower seeds we're really trying to boost our um, forbs out here so mm -hmm. we've got a lot of grasses um, so basically our main our um, uh, management goals here are to suppress the woody species and the invasives mm -hmm. um, and then also to boost our our wildflowers our forbs um, which I think we have been doing it's it's I can now finally after four years I can start to see um, the fruit of our labor which yeah. is really nice <laughs> yeah. yeah now of course those seeds I won't see them <laughs> for another couple of years yeah. but hopefully they're hopefully they will do really well out mm -hmm. here that's that's awesome. It's the diversity here mm -hmm. is is just great. Yeah, well, and that's why this is a great place to do education because mm -hmm. you can walk. You can start out down here around the pond. You're going to walk by a fen and some wooded wetlands. You're going to walk across uh, canals made by beavers. Mm -hmm. uh, if we could spend the rest of the day walking up in the north, mm -hmm. um, and so usually when I do tours, we'll we'll stick around the pond and we'll talk about these different things. We've also got. Um, lots of trails up along um, up in the north uh, in our lowland forest habitat mm -hmm. um, and then we've got what we call the cold spring side so it's all part of um, the eco lab but where um, Crooked Creek runs through mm -hmm. and so we've got that really nice riparian area um, where you know we'll walk on the trail and they're like are, am I walking through sand mm -hmm. yeah you are why well look where you are mm -hmm. so it's it's a really unique space for a lot of different reasons mm -hmm. um, we've you know our pond is spring-fed and that really you know I think leads to a lot of the different types of wildlife that we have here and again the uniqueness of it mm -hmm. but like I said where we are we have a lot of pressure and especially with invasive species um, and 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 like I said too we're never gonna it's never gonna be pristine I mean mm -hmm. we're always gonna have issues with invasive species but that's why it's such a great teaching tool mm -hmm. because my students can come out here they can learn about pretty much every invasive you could have in Indiana for the mm -hmm. most part they can learn about how to identify it along with the native species they learn native in plant installation they'll learn with the invasive species how to identify it and then how to remove it so when to remove it what to remove it mm -hmm. with the different ways you can remove it so I mean every species is different and you want to target it at different times so mm -hmm. they can learn all about this and they can go out and be awesome and work in more pristine environments and in, in the hopes that you know they aren't overrun with invasive species mm -hmm. 
So this is a perfect place to be able to do that. They get, you know, they I give them the brush cutter and we go to town, right? So <laughs> so they also learn, you know, safety <laughs> with that kind of thing. So they learn safety when we're doing um, uh, prescribed burns or if we're using a brush cutter or even if we're just using loppers. Mm -hmm. I mean, they learn um, how to be safe out in the field using these different um, tools uh, to be able to do what they do. So they have to, we, they have the talk, right? So we mm -hmm. have to have our our, our um, safety gla gear, so glasses and, and earplugs and gloves and you know all the things. So um, that's also something that I think is important, mm -hmm. <laughs> especially if you're gonna do this kind of work. I mean, you have to be safe because you can get hurt really quickly. Yeah. Um, and if you're by yourself or if there's only a few of you and you're out in the middle of nowhere, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, so at least here, you know, we're we're not too far away from help if we mm -hmm. need it, but. Um, I don't want to get that far, so we, we have a lot of safety talks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, let's take a walk down to the end here. Well, as you, as you can tell, I, I really enjoy bringing people out here and um, explaining all of these things because really, like, so what we do here um, goes into what everybody does throughout Indiana, right? Mm -hmm. And then what everybody does throughout the U.S. and throughout the world, what we're trying to do course the first thing you want to do is conserve what we have but then you want to restore what we can mm -hmm. so um, I really you know try to hit that um, theme home with everybody that comes out here to visit um, these are the reasons why we restore these are the reasons why we conserve these are the reasons why it's important mm -hmm. Well, now we are where we started. Nice. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking a walk with me around the pond. Thanks for taking me on a walk. Yeah. yeah this was amazing, and I will totally come back to visit. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and <coughs> no, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview, and uh, I think this is this is really like a fantastic resource of a place. But like, just your your knowledge and commitment is like just is awesome and uh, I think it sounds like any students that get to work with you are, are super lucky so I hope so yeah. I hope so I, I really it's one of my most favorite things I mm -hmm. love working with our undergrad students because um, they're so well you know you can get older and a little what's the word jaded maybe or you know I mean <laughs> it's a hard job and, mm -hmm. and like working with invasive species and restoration it's not easy and you don't always see the results and sometimes mm -hmm. you don't see any results and and it's it's a hard job to work in conservation anyway because there's so many things that are working against us. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but I, I have to be um, positive in mm -hmm. general. You can't do this job and not be. I mean, it would yeah. just, it, you'd, yeah, it wouldn't work. Um, but they really do keep me going. Mm -hmm. I mean, their positivity, their interest, their enthusiasm, um, I, I really do feed off of other people and you know if they're bored then I'm like well okay this is exciting um, so I love bringing my students down there and they're just like what is this what is that like, let me tell you what it is oh, I yeah. love it and so to see their enthusiasm to see how they grow over four years mm -hmm. is amazing and that's the thing too like with environmental education a lot of times it's one off right mm -hmm. you have a school group and then they're gone and you might see them again next year you might not but it's not going to be the same group it's going to be the fifth grade of that next year, mm -hmm. right? And so you, you don't always see, again, the results of mm -hmm. what you've done. You hope that it's sunk in. You mm -hmm. hope they had a good time. You hope they appreciate 
the outdoors a little bit more, um, but you don't always know. Mm-hmm. But with our undergraduates, I can see that. I can see them because sometimes I'll have them as a freshman and they'll work with me or um, for me like throughout their career and sometimes not, mm-hmm. but it's great to see them grow and learn and um, and see where they end up when they're a senior and then when they graduate, where they go. So I've, I've um, seen a lot of my interns become amazing well they all become amazing people but doing things that they love Mm -hmm. and that's the other thing too is I really um, as we work out here I'm like regardless of whether you want to do this or not I want to make sure that you are happy you're a happy person Mm -hmm. and you do what you want to do and you do what you love um, when you graduate so how can we make that happen it was a lot of fun thank you again yeah huge thank you again to Stephanie for taking the time to talk to me about her work at the Ecolab. I'll include informational links on the web page for this episode at midwestoration.com for you to further explore information about the Ecolab and find Stephanie's contact information if you wish to find that. And additionally, if you are enjoying Midwestoration, please uh, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. And look forward to more Midwesteration in the next couple weeks. Thank you.